I definitely see myself acting more as a musician in the future. All right, hello and welcome to the At You Two podcast, episode number six. We've made it to number six, lucky number six, maybe somewhere. We're talking all things U2, including new album news, tour dates, community discussions from the staff of at u2.com. And once again, he says he's never going to come back, but he keeps coming back. Mr. Matt McGee joins me. Hello, Matt. Hey, Chris, how are you? I'm well. <laughs> Happy birthday. Oh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> You're 24 is, now, right? Yeah, 24 just this year, something like that. Hanging on. Yeah, it's it's a great birthday present to be able to talk you two with, with you and uh, a couple other folks. Who else do we have on the call today on the podcast? We, we have two uh, very special guests, uh, friends of At You Two, um, that I think a lot of listeners will recognize, especially if they're on Twitter. Um, we have Beth Nobby, who is at Beth and Bono on Twitter. Isn't it interesting, by the way, how we we just immediately start to associate who, who your Twitter screen name is, right? Um, and we also and we also have Chris Leclerc, who is at Chris Leclerc on Twitter as well, um, and they are going to be our special guests for podcast number six. Beth and Chris, how are you guys? Hi, great. Hi, Matt. Hi, Chris. Happy birthday! Thank you. Yes, thank you. Happy birthday, Chris, from another Chris. <laughs> I know, and that's the number one question. I'm sure everybody, nobody's actually submitted it officially with Ask at You Two, but so we have uh, Tim Newfeld listening, and he's uh, wondering why there's so many people with the name Chris associated with at you too. We did have Chris Andrenal on last time, right? Yeah. So I don't know what it is. Maybe just you two as a band attracts people with the name Chris. <laughs> We're going to hire some more Chris's before the next podcast. Yeah. <laughs> There's always got to be a Chris on the show. Two Chris's, I guess, on the show. <laughs> there you go. So, um, and tell us just by way of introduction, as much as you want to share, I guess, where are you in the world and, and uh, how you stumbled across at you too. Uh, I'll start. Uh, this is Beth, if anybody was confused. Um, <laughs> I'm in Jacksonville, Florida. I am a professor at the University of North Florida down here. I teach graphic design and digital media. And uh, you too, I've been uh, in love with since I was 13, my musical soulmate. And then, um, gosh, I can't remember the uh, when I stumbled upon at you two. Um, it was probably, you know, I, I think it predated the Twitter days. Um, but it's like, it's like they've always been there. And this is the other Chris. Um, so I am actually new to the YouTube community. Um, I was a radio DJ, so I was familiar with YouTube's hits that I used to play and, and always enjoyed them and then met Beth and she actually canceled our very first date because Bono was on the Oscars and she said, we can't do it that night. It's gotta be another night. Um, and I've got a thousand and one stories where I've always come in second to Bono, but, um, <laughs> We, uh, you've known from the beginning. I've known from the, the beginning and I've been okay with it. Um, <laughs> so I'm actually new to the community and I um, am now a visual anthropologist and um, also teach at a small college here in Florida. And um, Beth and I study you two. She's brought me in as kind of an anthropologist and I find the music amazing and kind of am frustrated on why I wasn't a fan from the beginning. So Beth, what was the the album that drew you in at the risk of dating you or, you know, revealing your age or whatever, all that kind of stuff. People can do the math if they want, but <laughs> I'm 24. You can be whatever age you want. Um, what was the album that brought you into you two? Uh, like so many others, it was Octoon Baby. Nice. Uh, I, 
I was, and like so many others, I was 13. I was in very formative years and, uh, you know, had been familiar with U2 as, as a radio hits artist and, and knew the big ones. But it wasn't until I heard a boy I really, really liked singing Mysterious Ways, uh, walking through the apartment complex I lived in at the time. And I thought, I, I've, I've heard that on the radio. And I paid a little more attention to the, the song the next time I heard it and, and more, less and less attention to the boy. And just as we all do, you know, kind of found my my musical soulmate. So um, Octane Baby was where it started. And then you have to go through the back catalog and catch up. And then you, you I've, I've hung on for, for every lyric since then. <laughs> nice. And yeah, Chris, uh, for anybody who hasn't visited uh, your Beth's Twitter account, it is Beth and Bono, not Beth and Chris. And Bono <laughs> features pretty heavily. <laughs> so <there is. laughs> it doesn't seem to be a competition at any anymore, I guess. Is what <laughs> nope. There's a pecking order. <laughs> and, and you two lost that night, too, on the Oscars. So, um, But we, we eventually rescheduled, and the rest is history. <laughs> so, Chris, since you came late to the party, have you mm-hmm. had to go back and sort of familiarize yourself with all the albums and catch up as well? Well, so the second date that we went on, um, we, uh, <laughs> this is Beth, our dating history. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Beth, um, you know, I told Beth my familiar with the band and listed off all the radio hits that I enjoyed and had on my iPod. And, um, we were sitting kind of after the date talking and Beth said, we've got a history lesson for you. And she had me sit in her car. She locked the doors and she put on out of control. And she said, you will memorize this song and know this song. And, um, so pretty quickly I was like, wow, you know, this is more than just a radio hits band. And now I, I have pretty much the whole collection on my own and, and really enjoy it and have gotten more into the lyrics and understanding, um, what the songs are about and what the band is about. And if I can continue this uh, sure. um, perfectly logical delving into our relationship history. <laughs> on our, I feel like Dr. Phil right now, yeah. by the way. <laughs> on, on our third date, we were in a bar in St. Augustine, Florida. And, uh, you know, there was there was music playing. There was background music. You know, I was I was aware. Um, but then I hear the the opening of Out of Control. And I just kind of lost my mind a little bit because it's not a song you hear on uh, the radio or really on a jukebox in a bar. And, um, you know, I was kind of I was so excited. I felt like I mean, it's the universe. It's the the U2 God telling me this. This is meant to be. And there's something special about this boy. And then I got really paranoid that he'd set it up. Uh, <laughs> I was like, you, you memorized stuff from date two and, and orchestrated this. And he's like, I wish I were that uh, slick or, um, you know, hope I'm not that creepy. But um, <laughs> so. Anyway, that catches you up. <laughs> <laughs> That's an awesome story. Yeah, I think that'll be when, if and when we ever run out of segments to talk about. One of the things we should talk about is have fans on who've met somehow, either like you guys, you know, <laughs> been forced and held down in a car to listen to you two, or somehow met through you two and. Uh, <laughs> Some sort of dating. No, this that's, is your life. That's that's a, that's actually a great topic. We really show. I mean, because we all have stories like that, right? Like mm-hmm. Sherry Lawrence and Steve, um, husband and wife at U two Crew. They met during the um, the MSN Pop Mart chat online in 1997 or something like oh, that. Wow. I mean, yeah, there's oh, there's so many fantastic stories. All right, yeah. well, there you go. Put it in the notebook, I guess. That's right. We'll bring back that one. Speaking of random mentions of at U2 stuff on the internet, that's a terrible segue, but um, U2.com recently mentioned, and this we said last time we would never talk about the party again, but we're going to talk about it one more time. I know, people are getting <laughs> sick already. <laughs> 
but they happened to list a bunch of highlights from this last tour. I don't know why they picked nine. Is there something I'm missing? They picked nine anyways. It seems like a weird number, but nine highlights from the last tour, the segment of the tour anyways, uh, leg of the tour. And number two, if you're following along in that order or whatever, it was the Edge and Adam showing up at the fan site, u2.com, celebrating a 20th birthday party. Which is pretty cool. That was, that was pretty cool. Should have been number one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> we might be biased. But <laughs> and we'll also do a future podcast episode where Beth and I talk about how that version of Streets was the best one we heard on the whole tour. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Hands down. Hands down. Wow. That's setting some dangerous precedent for a, an argument, I think. Stay tuned to a future <laughs> podcast. <laughs> All right. Well, let's jump into the inbox from uh, listeners of the show, fans of at u2.com and obviously YouTube fans who've sent in questions from uh, using the hashtag ask at u2 on Twitter. Um, first one comes to us from C-K-O-N-A-N-Z. Sikonans? Anyways. Yeah. Uh, his name's Christian. I know Christian. Oh, well, oh okay. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Met him uh, in Miami last October. So awesome. this is from Christian. So it's my role to butcher the Twitter username and everybody else's <laughs> role to fill me in on who the person is <laughs> and take a drink of your favorite beverage every time that happens. Uh, can you please post the set list of the concert by Unforgettable Fire on your 20th anniversary party? So Matt, has that happened yet? No, we can't post the set list. Why not? Because A, we don't know it, and B, I'm not sure they know it because <laughs> when those party crasher dudes showed up, it threw the whole set list out of whack. <laughs> so, uh, it, so I don't know. I have no recollection of the order of songs they played. I know it's different from what was on the printed set list. And if you were, if you go into our Flickr photo set from the party, there's actually a photo of what they plan to play of their printed set list. But that's not the order that they played things in because when Edge and Adam showed up and they did Streets in the first part of the set. It was supposed to be in the second part of the set. They did Out of Control twice, blah, blah, blah. So, no, we cannot post the set list. And I don't know if even Unforgettable Fire could do that. <laughs> well, there you go. Um, next question was from at Fibatini. Fibatini. That's Fibatini. Fernanda, from, Fernanda from our staff. Okay. Uh, even if you're on the staff, you still get your Twitter name butchered by me. <laughs> do you think songs of experience will be released until the end of the year or only in 2016 so songs of experience obviously is the much talked about rumored follow-up album to songs of innocence what do you guys think i I give up trying to project with this band because i'm always wrong (laughs) uh i mean i can't believe we're coming up on the anniversary of songs of innocence getting getting sort of surprise dropped on us and so um my inclination is that it won't be um but you know there could be an announcement tomorrow or whatever day new music comes out now well and this is uh chris jumping in the sierra satellite radio interview that they did the other day they said that it's probably going to be next year at some point but once again, this band always, I've learned in my short time, this band always keeps people guessing and kind of never wants to tip their hat towards anything. Yeah, I'd be shocked if it's out this year. I just don't think, I mean, unless they're really pulling the wool over us. I mean, just to, to hear them talk about it, it just doesn't sound like it's anywhere near ready. So I would be shocked if it's anytime soon. Yeah, has there Bono, was. Has Bono said it will? Because I think that's our tell is that it won't. <laughs> right. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, Bono frequently talks about things as if they're basically ready to go, and the rest of the band <laughs> is kind of like, uh, Adam hasn't recorded his part yet, so, or whatever. <laughs> but they did play, like, uh, for Adam and Scott on the Talking YouTube 
whatever podcast, um, they did play apparently three fairly full, complete sounding songs, which doesn't necessarily mean that the whole album is ready, but um, obviously they had some, they're in some state of readiness anyway. So, but yeah, we'll see. I think uh, that is an interesting point though, Beth, that it's coming up on the one year anniversary, which feels like it can't be already, but um, I guess it has been. And uh, second question also uh, was, will the YouTube tour come to South America and Australia before or after the Songs of Innocence release? She said, I believe only after. Which, yeah, any any thoughts there? I don't know. Uh, what uh, Have you guys heard any rumors? I mean, I've heard, I mean, I've heard people say, you know, when they do the North American tour next year, I've heard spring for North America. I've heard fall for North America. And obviously that would then determine when they do South America, Australia, and others. So I really have no idea at this point what, uh, you know, what the current status is of, of all the rumors. Yeah, I've not heard much in the way of rumors for either, or rather, I guess I've heard a lot of rumors about everything and, and uh, can't make sense of any of it. Yeah, nothing much concrete. And I'm sure folks in that, those parts of the world are anxiously awaiting their chance to, as they've heard on this show and obviously lots of other fans talk, talk and rave about the show anxious to get to see it but uh eventually they have said that they are going to do it right or have they even said they yeah they've tipped they, their hand that much haven't they like when they're i think i'm pretty sure that u2br and some of the other uh, south american sites have like talked to them like during the when they're entering the the arenas before the shows and they you know they got i think like adam said you know yes we'll be in south america next year and or maybe Bono did, or I don't know. But I'm pretty sure that they, that at least that much confirmation has happened. Does that sound right to you guys? I think so. Yes. Yeah. Cool. Uh, next question comes from at nobody underscore home two. Do you think they'll see? I did that one. Do you think they'll adopt <laughs> the show for stadiums next year? I think it'd be a shame. It's great as it is, but money wise, probably worth it. Uh, adapt the show for stadiums. Okay, so to kind of move this this whole setup outside. Yeah. Um, uh, I I can see them doing it, and I mean I've, I've grown attached to it as it is. But they're U two, and they always sort of figure out a way to um, to exceed expectations. And so I'm sure whatever they come up with will be brilliant. Um, well, if we can throw out you know wine pride rumors here that we've heard, I've heard at a couple of different shows that we've been to this theory going around the fan base that innocence is going to be this small intimate kind of thing but when they come back with experience it's going to be more stadium driven kind of more experienced kind of a bigger show mm-hmm. whether that's true or not you know once again cut it out if if, if you need to <laughs> oh no we're all about some rumors and hearsay and- <laughs> so so my so my question would be how do they adapt I mean, like this arena show, the screen hangs from the ceiling. There's no ceiling in a stadium. So how do they? Yeah, that was my. How question. would they replace that screen? Because without that screen, then you lose Cedarwood Road. You lose Song for Someone. You know, you lose such a, invisible. You lose such a key. I mean, it's like the centerpiece of the show. So that's one. Like, I, sure. whenever they'll I, go, they'll go get the claw out of Paul McGinnis's backyard <laughs> <laughs> and suspend the screen, and it's handled. Okay. Yeah, I guess the claw just climbs down the stage a bit further and is out on the catwalk, you know, okay. farther out on the stage. And then that's maybe where, yeah. <laughs> Could you imagine? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's an interesting 
conundrum just from a uh, like a physical standpoint of how do you do it, and then also yeah. how do you set up the show so it maintains that sense of like the atmosphere and the staging and the the theater that goes on with a big open air stadium with more people and and just yeah my my get i mean i agree with what beth and chris said i think that they certainly have the brain power and the you know the technical wizardry and the money to make it happen but my guess is that it's not going to go to stadiums and that par- i say that in part because there were uh you know a fair number of shows that did not sell out quickly arena wise um they were supposed to do, what, six shows in L.A., but they only did five. They're supposed to do six in Chicago, and they stopped at five. So my guess, I don't know. I just think maybe from a business angle that they might say, you know, let's just keep it with arenas. Mm-hmm. Well, and, you know, they, they sold the tour originally on that idea that we were going to have those uh, wildly different two nights or multiple nights. And that I think that fell through for the most part. But there were still set list mix-ups and or not, you know, not mix-ups in the bad sense, but shake-ups. And I think if, you know, they go to the to stadiums and the potential of playing just one night in a city, you lose that variety from night to night or that ability to play and to experiment. So, sure. um, so you know, maybe we, maybe we won't see stadiums. You know, it'd be awesome is uh, if sometime someone like a, what Willie Williams, the stage designer, came on our podcast mm-hmm. and talked about it or something? That would be that just, would be just throwing that out there in case there's any connections. <laughs> listening, get on, get on it, Matt. If Willie's <laughs> listening right now, <laughs> we'd love to have him on. I'm guessing he has a few theories on that. But to say, <laughs> all right, next question uh, at RVH95: Why aren't songs on the album in the same chronological order as the show Iris Cedarwood Road uh, to emphasize innocence lost? It's a great question. Matt, what do you think? It is a great question. This is actually, I've actually thought about this like in my, you know, like while I'm driving in the car and stuff. And I don't know. I mean, I don't know what the answer is. I, a part of me, I think maybe it's just that by, you know, so if the album came out, what, last September, right, guys? September mm-hmm. 9th or something? September 9th, yep. So it, so it had to be sequenced, you know, maybe, you know, a couple weeks before that for the Apple release. So do you think by late August of last year, they had that firm an idea of what the set list for the concert was going to be? That's, I just, so I just, I kinda, that's the only thing I can come up with on why it's, it's a different order is that maybe you know, by, by the time they needed to put an album together, you know, put the order for the album together, they just didn't have an, enough of an idea yet of what the show was going to be like. Oh, sure. I mean, I think they're two totally different beasts with um, – you know, planning the 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 concerts and taking into consideration all the other songs um, from other albums that they wanted to work into it. Um, so, you know, I think uh, Bono changes lyrics on us. You know, I think it's it's um, within the realm of expectation that the meanings of the songs and the relationship of the songs to each other continues to change. Yeah, that's why I think it's it's such an interesting world now. Like we sort of mentioned, the idea of like songs of experience could drop tomorrow on iTunes. There's nothing, there's no like physical thing that has to sh- get shipped out to stores. Eventually, they did that, obviously with songs songs of innocence, but they didn't have to. They could just drop it. Um, and so I think that's where it's an interesting world we live in, where they could now that album that songs of uh, experience album could have been ready to go tomorrow, but they decide maybe to wait for a month because of the way the tour ended or something, you know, and like where in the past they would have had to have that all pre predestined, pre figured out 
pre-figured out, figured out, (laughs) Uh, you know, packaging and CDs and shipments and physical stuff that had to go out. Whereas I remember reading, uh, or I think it was Neil McCormick, the Irish, uh, British, is he, uh, Yeah, Irish music reviewer. I think he's based Mm -hmm. in Britain now. But anyways, replying to a tweet of mine about, you know, asking like, how did this actually happen that he had a review and then it went out and he said like, you know, it was like an 11th hour kind of like completion of the album and then just basically giving the files on some sort of MP3 disc or whatever to, (laughs) uh, to uh, Apple or whatever to distribute. Right. And so that whole, yeah, it's just interesting to me as a, uh, how that has changed over the years of following you two in terms of handing over music and the distribution stuff and how that can affect a tour and, and things like that. So, and I, uh, and I think you use the term completion of the album pretty, pretty liberally with you too. I mean, then we get the yeah. deluxe album where it's, you know, the songs are already in a different order there and they're different versions and different lyrics. And so I think it's, um, constantly changing. And, uh, um, I would say I bet we see pretty significant change-ups to the show as it travels to Europe. But I don't know that that middle sequence with the screen is pretty tight and is so brilliant and is such theater that uh, maybe it'll, it'll stay locked as is. All right. Next question. Last question for this episode uh, from Bonavox 58. Why were no concert dates added to the tour for Manchester and Liverpool in the UK? Why only Glasgow and London? Um, I'll jump in on this. This is Chris again. I actually lived in Manchester. That's where I did my master's degree. I was at the university there. And I I think it's purely just a a matter of logistics and space. Um, Liverpool only has one indoor arena and it seats 11,000 people at most. So I just don't think that it has the numbers that they would need. Um, Manchester only has two spaces that would even be large enough to consider it. Um, and out of those, um, one is an indoor-outdoor kind of rehabbed train station. Um, and the other one may have just had a conflict. But I think that the it was the Manchester Evening News Stadium, and it's now the Phones for You Stadium. And that on a GA-type situation would be at best 15,000 seats and you know patrons at max. So I think you just – it's a matter of getting – a, a large enough arena where you could actually have the people there. Most concerts uh, that come through Manchester are actually held at the university student union. And I've seen all kinds of amazing shows there um, in the time that I lived there, but that's, that's about the best concert venue uh, in town. And if we're asking about why certain concert dates weren't added in certain places, I'd like to <laughs> oh, <here it> goes. <laughs> ask about the entire southeast of the United States. Uh, <laughs> and we, you know, the closest concert to us down in Jacksonville was New York, which was, you know, 800 and something miles away. And so we said, eh, let's go to Canada. Yeah. So. Beauty. Welcome to Canada. <laughs> <laughs> You're always welcome up here. <laughs> Thank you. It was a lovely country. <laughs> Yeah. Anything more to add on the tour dates? I know that's always like a, just one of those things that it feels like I'm sure every city or everybody who's near a city like that, you're like, why would you not come to insert your city here? Cause it's this and it's got that. And it's like right close by to me and, and I would buy a ticket and so would my friends. So why couldn't you come? <laughs> but yeah, yeah some, there's just logistics and, and even it's, you know, this, the, the, the life stuff that happens where, you know, they have to get back for uh, someone's wedding or something or whatever, you know, that just plays into part of it as well. It's, it's hard to remember sometimes, but it's almost like they're people, but um, (laughs) yeah. 
Anyways, moving on. Thanks for all your questions. As always, you can submit those on Twitter if you use the hashtag ask at you too. I know, Matt, you've been tweeting out from the at you too Twitter account, uh, just sort of a bit of deeper instructions where, you know, if you want a follow up question or, or give more color or details to your your question or comment, feel free to do multiple tweets and we'll, it'll all get tracked together and we'll fi- figure it out and find you and, uh, and mispronounce your Twitter handle and, uh, <laughs> on the show. Yeah. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to just be questions. It can be questions with opinions and all that sort of stuff. And that way we get some more voices and opinions, uh, uh, added to the podcast. Yeah, definitely. All right. For the, uh, the next segment of the show, the at you two round table, we thought, uh, since, Chris and Beth have seen, by my metric, compared to me, which is mine was zero, <laughs> you've seen a ton of shows. <laughs> I think I can use that word. Uh, and just to get their thoughts on on the, the tour as, as a whole, but also specific elements of the tour in regards to the ticket system and then some stuff that went down in New York as well. So um, I'm curious, though, Beth and Chris, I don't know who wants to chime in first, but the just the experience of this tour compared to other tours and sort of how you're your experience went? Uh, well, I've been seeing you two live since, um, Pop Mart in 1997. And, um, I don't, I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to compare the, I went to my first opening night, this tour, we went to Vancouver and, um, I'd never, I'd never done an opening night, uh, of a tour and wanted to be in on the excitement and wanted to, you know, see the first of everything. And it, it was indeed excitement and the buildup was just exhilarating. The first night, the show was, um, it, that night. And even in retrospect, it felt like what it was. I mean, it felt kind of like a dress rehearsal still. Um, it, it was amazing. It was exciting because it was you two again, but you know, kinks were, were being worked out. And so to get to see it frequently over the next few months through, uh, to its finale of, of this, um, of the North American leg anyway, was, it was just exciting to watch it develop, to watch them grow more confident with it. And, you know, even being so familiar with it after 15 shows, it's still, uh, kind of a, a spectacle and a treat every time we saw it. Um, I still have a little nostalgia for 360. Uh, I don't, I don't know if that's maybe when I started it, when it occurred to me that you can see them more than once. Uh, it's not just, <laughs> it's not just what's the, the closest show or where can I meet up with some friends and see them one and done. Uh, that's when I really started to find my YouTube family and travel around and follow them. So, um, I have a little bit of nostalgia for that tour, but they're just different. There's, they're such different entities. Uh, and I really think I, I hear a lot of people use the word theater when they describe this show. And it absolutely is. I mean, it's just as stunning as anything you'll see on Broadway. Um, but, uh, Chris saw them for the first time in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I, um, it really was a dress rehearsal. Um, it came across as, as such. And I remember we walked out of Vancouver one and I, I enjoyed the show. I had a great time, but I, I was kind of a little puzzled. I was like, they're good, but I, I, these stories that I keep hearing and then to watch the progression and to watch the change from, you know, Vancouver one all the way through New York eight, um, especially the interaction with the screen. And I know there's been a lot of write up PC world did in a, a great article about the write up of the screen and how fluid the screen is and, um, how they really employ that. And I think that kind of by the time they got to, I would say LA is when they really started to find it. And then when we saw them in Chicago, 
they had nailed it. And by, you know, the time they were in Toronto and the New York, it was just in Boston were just amazing. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, it took them a little bit to figure out they have this amazing piece of technology, you know, this, this giant screen in the middle of the arena that they're, that is very interactive, that is very live. It's a 15 camera live switched show that has, you know, pre-taped and animation elements that changed almost every show. There was a new or different piece of animation that was added in at some point. So just to kind of watch, watch the evolution of this truly it is a theatrical performance and to watch that elevate that um just to kind of watch the evolution of that was was mind-blowing and i have to say by the end of new york eight if i hadn't gotten it by say chicago it was nailed into my brain on why this is such an amazing band to see live and how much more they bring to the show as opposed to to just sitting back and being a passive listener and even from night one in Vancouver to night two was a pretty radical transformation. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, previous tours told me, get on the rail, get on the rail. That's where you have this amazing experience. And so uh, I didn't want to do the kind of numbered GA system, but we went in probably three or four o'clock. Uh, we got in line day of and uh, and got a rail spot on the catwalk. And it was um uh, sure, it's always exciting to be feet away from uh, the four of them, um, but we missed out on so much. So night two, when we stepped back um, and uh, kind of viewed it from a little closer to the to the main stage and several rows back and you saw the screen. I mean, it was just it, Chris turned to me and he said, oh, I get it now. Um, right. and well, for night were, one, I mean, that screen looked like a Seurat painting to us because we were literally right there looking up and it was just these bizarre kind of blinking lights there were entire songs i couldn't see them for i mean invisible which is really probably my favorite off the album uh when you're right under the screen i i couldn't see them i saw feet and i thought what is this this is like <laughs> what am i what am i missing i don't get it and you too is i do nothing but get you too so um so then I stepped back and, and that's why I got excited. And I thought, you know, the show is a rail killer. And I think that's been one of the greatest things about it. But one of the frustrating things about it is there's no sweet spot to see this show um, there or maybe they're all sweet spots. But I think you have so many such a, a different experience depending on where you choose to view it from. And it, so it was fun to pick and, and kind of think, OK, how am I going to experience this tonight? And with with 15 shows, we, we got to see uh, we got a pretty encompassing view of it. I think we had every angle at one point. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the uh, the the million dollar question or, or the I guess maybe fifty five dollar question, depending on the ticket. But of the tour, I guess, is what I always I'm curious about for those folks who can only go to one show where where do you buy tickets and what what would you suggest to folks having seen 15 of the, the tour stops this time where to buy tickets like meaning where in the yeah sorry yeah what go? seat do you go for i think our favorites were um either if you're on the the floor if you're doing general admission we loved backing up and be leaning against the red zone rail if red zone set up similarly over in Europe or other or other legs. Um, so kind of midway between the I stage and the E stage, um, uh, but, you know, it's sort of towards the back of the floor and you can take it all in. And uh, depending on the um, how crowded the, the floor is, you can travel and you can go down right, to the E yeah. stage and you go down to the up to the I stage. Um, and we also had seats for one of the nights in New York um, that were the lower level and they were spectacular. But I, you know, I love you two more than anything. And I think those seats are overpriced. So go on the floor, stand back. That's kind of what I would, I, from my brief four 
tour stops over the last number of years anyways it's kind of the floor and then realizing remembering to step back and sort of take it all in not just try and get up to the rail and catch a bit of sweat or or whatever (laughs) right get get monetized yeah Yeah. (laughs) i generally don't go around sniffing rock stars (laughs) throw a little adam quote in there uh matt the paperless system yeah so so one one of the the particular reasons that i wanted to invite Chris and Beth on um, with your experience of all the shows you saw is that you guys went to a number of shows where you started, you know, the road trip started and you didn't have tickets yet. And this was the first U2 tour where there we ever had um, paperless tickets, right? So GA ticket holders in North America at every, in every city, except for one, which we'll get to. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you were buying GA tickets, you didn't get anything physical that you could hold in your hands. You got uh, you know, a QR code or something like that that you were just going to walk into the, uh, the venue and show them, you know, your proof of purchase or whatever, and they're going to scan you in and you get your wristband and you go on the floor and there's no ticket involved. And so I, I'm curious, I, I'd love to hear what you guys, I, well, I first, I first I'd love to hear what your, your thoughts were before the tour when, you, you know, when, when we were all discussing you know, the, the paperless tickets and then what were your thoughts you know, as the tour went along and you're on the hunt for tickets uh, as you're going to these shows? Well, we originally planned four shows. We planned two in Vancouver, uh, specifically to be there for the opener. And then we planned two in Toronto to meet up with friends. Um, so we really were being a little defiant and saying, fine, you're not going to come near Florida. We'll, we'll show you, uh, and pay even more money to come see you. Um, (laughs) so, so we, uh, you know, I, it, it was the, the beginning of ticket sales and it was an opener and I was panicked that, that, um, Tickets would run out, so I I shot both um, my two tickets for my presale code uh, presale code on Vancouver one. Chris used his on Vancouver two, and um, we were happy to secure those. And in hindsight, I would have I would have held on to those for um, what I now know will be much harder to get tickets. But we we wanted to secure that, so we we used our presale codes there. We lucked out with Toronto in the. Uh, general sales and we pulled GAs for those too. Um, and so we were excited. We were secure. That's, you know, um, uh, I wouldn't dream of doing it any other way to, to go to a city and not have tickets. But then, um, in Vancouver, this idea came together for a research project we're working on that, uh, in my belief necessitated going to 11 more shows. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, and so, uh, you know, we, so we had that driving us. That was the priority. And, and the shows were always the bonus is kind of what I told myself. So it wasn't a, a complete loss if we didn't get in. So we had a little bit of a safety, an emotional safety net in going. But we went off to these 11 other shows in five or four other cities with nothing in hand. And um, uh, I was nervous about the paperless GA, but looking at the, um, the, the ticket buying system as a whole over the course of the tour, I would so take that over over the papered system now. Um, but we had really good luck with drops. We had good luck with friends who were going to be in attendance at a show and, and you know, had plans changed. So they had a few extra tickets and things like that. Um, 
So I think the paperless worked to our advantage. It made things a little trickier. I did some really stupid things. Like I, I bought tickets for Chicago one, ended up not being able to go and thought, you know, well, I I have these GAs that I can't transfer. I'm just going to have to eat this money. But, um, ultimately ended up, uh, selling them to a friend who needed to go to the show. And I use the term friend, meaning somebody I knew on, I knew on Twitter. Um, so I mailed off a live credit card. <laughs> to oh somebody, my gosh, you did <laughs> to some, don't tell my mother, um, <laughs> to, to somebody I've never met, but, but knew and trusted. And we had mutual friends who I'd met in real life. Um, but it, you know, it's a little terrifying when I'm at the post office, dropping my Amex in the box thinking, oh, wow. you know, you're, you're, this is you're about to either save yourself $160 or or cost yourself significantly more. Um, but then I was the 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 I was on the receiving end of that another time for Chicago Five. A friend couldn't go to that show, and uh, she was leaving Chicago as we were arriving. We met up. She gave me her canceled card. She was probably a little smarter than I was, and uh, we used that to get into the show. So it's frustrating in that it. It's, it, it has made the real fans resort to that. Um, but I'll, I'll still take that over kind of some experiences we had later. So um, just can it, I it, just interject for a second as somebody for maybe who hasn't been on the tour yet or hasn't been to the show or you need your credit card because what happens or you need that uh, credit card? That's so the credit card that you purchase the tickets with is what you need to go into the show. They have a ticket scanner right there, and it's simply the the, the stripe they're scanning. It doesn't matter if it's still active or not. Um, it's it's just scanning it and matching it up. And uh, they, they we were told there was sort of the warning before every show that they'd also be checking IDs. We had only one show where they actually checked IDs. Uh, yeah. So um, I don't know what would have happened if I had a friend's credit card, but not her ID. Oh, she actually, she like wrote this permission note. <laughs> she, she Xeroxed, she Xeroxed her driver's license and wrote a note saying, Beth Nobby has my permission and here's my phone number. And I was like, yeah, I can't wait to see the security guard waiting while I pull out my cell phone and call, <laughs> call my friend and explain it all. Cause so, that's the risk, I guess that you get some one security guard who's on a bit of a power trip, maybe or whatever. And then you're kind of like stuck, right? Cause they, could mm-hmm. sort of pull that on you, I guess, is what the worry would be. But luckily, right. yeah. I think, I mean, I think some people did run into some situations where it uh, resulted in, in crying and that eventually, you know, kind of got, got them in. But um, it, it's it's tricky. I mean, I think in some ways it's it protects us, but it's um, it was really frustrating to lose that fan-to-fan exchange. Um, yeah, there was, that's there was no way to, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, just amongst our at U2 staff, I remember on the 360 tour, it was a very communal ticket buying thing, you know, uh, like I would uh, with the just even with just the fan club stuff. So I would buy two GAs for a certain show. Well, I knew I only needed one. So I had an extra that I could easily, you know, give or sell to somebody else on the staff. And we did that, you know, internally quite a bit on 360. But you really couldn't do that on this tour because of the the, the paperless tickets. And so I think that was I remember um I wrote in in one of the OTR columns on at U two you know a week or two or three before the tour started, and I said you know that I I I'm just scared to death of you know some of the nightmare stories that I think are going to come out from this 
paperless tickets where you know people are going to forget that they have to bring their credit card or they're going to get up there and the credit card isn't going to swipe or the credit card will have been canceled or something like that. Um, and in my experience, and, and Chris and Beth, maybe you, know, maybe you may have heard other things, but in my experience, those situations were really few and far between. We had, we had one or two staffers that had an issue in Vancouver, but they were brought right, I think it was Vancouver, they were brought right inside the venue into like the box office area and the credit card was like, they manually typed the credit card into the computer or something like that and they got, you know, they were able to get, uh, you know, get into the building that way. But I never heard any real, you know, just absolute terrible stories from the, from the paperless ticketing aside from, as you were just saying, Beth, that it did make things a lot trickier and, and more difficult in terms of doing stuff with friends. Yeah, we, we had one similar incident to what you were describing, Matt, where uh, a friend <clears throat> ended up having uh, two of her friends cancel. So we lucked out with that in Boston. And, you know, then the trick is you have to go in together. And if you can coordinate that, it's no problem at all. Uh, and we were fortunate enough to, because with our project, we'd sort of work all day and go in as late as we could. Um, and, but there was one time when her ticket wouldn't, or her, her credit card wouldn't scan and the tickets weren't popping up. So we just went into the box office. Uh, they printed out hard tickets for us. And then security actually let us right back in uh, rather than having to kind of go to the end of the GA line. So uh, you're right. I think they were few and far between and got and got resolved pretty quickly. But um, I just I think losing that um, the fans obviously found a way to continue exchanging and trading and helping each other out at face value, but it just got, it got more complicated. Yeah. It, well, and so you, 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 got, you guys kind of hinted at this, um, five minutes or so ago about, uh, <laughs> the difference that we experienced in New York. I only, and New York was the one city where they had actual hard tickets for everyone, including GA. And I was only I only experienced this uh, the morning of the last show, New York Eight, where I joined you, you two, and several other you know of our online friends in the line for that 10 a.m. ticket drop, and it kind of quickly turned into a nightmare with scalpers and security. You guys did the lineup, the 10 a.m. lineup for the previous shows before that, right? So, what was that experience like? Uh, you know, for our listeners, I, I, I mean, obviously, you and I have talked about this some, so I know some of the story, but I agree with you that you know, despite all the the difficulty of Paper, that paperless ticketing created, I much prefer it over what happened in New York. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think um, so. And if I'm not mistaken, Madison Square Garden was the only place that had like a designated 10 a.m. drop. The rest of the drops had been just kind of randomly throughout the day whenever they happened. But MSG was the only venue that I know of that had this kind of at 10 a.m. They would release some maybe 10.05, 10.15. Um, and so we were there for, um, you know, New York five, six, seven and eight. And um, we had had some issues and they'd been kind of building throughout the week. You know, we um, one of the first days, the security was a little frustrated with us that we were trying to get in for this 10 a.m. drop. And, you know, I have a, if anybody who's seen me around the, the venue knows that I have a lot of um a lot of camera gear, you know, my bag and my camera and things like that. And they, um, the security went through my bag six or seven times and just kept kind of holding me back and holding me back. And when we got in there, there was, um, there was a guy who we later found out was a scalper who was already in there buying tickets and said to a couple of us, you guys aren't supposed to be in here yet. 
as he was kind of doing his transaction over and over again of his maximum of four tickets. So that kind of set a tone, I think, for the week. Um, it was just it was kind of confusing, uh, even on day one when we walk up kind of expecting that uh, they're, you know, knowing that the box office opens at 10 and we're perfectly allowed to be in there to try to buy tickets. Um, There's still mixed messages from from security. But we did get in um, uh, those those previous three dates for New York five, six and seven. And we got uh, tickets in a drop and cheap tickets. We got thirty five dollar seats for for those three nights. And they said obstructed view, uh, and the only the it wasn't even really an issue. We were kind of angled slightly behind the stage, either on Adam's side or Edge's side each night. But they were spectacular. Uh, you know, I was I was thrilled to be getting into Madison Square Garden for um, for thirty five bucks. So uh, they they do these drops. The tickets would run out pretty quickly, but they would allow you to buy. Um, what would they allow you to buy? Four tickets? Four at first and then two uh, Thursday and Friday. Yeah. Um, or as their, as their supply dwindled um, on any given morning, they would uh, lower it to, you know, to either two tickets or to one ticket and just sell singles. But we had really great luck the first the first three days. And um, but because we were there multiple days, we saw uh, that's when we started seeing patterns and repeated incidents and kind of getting the, the just things didn't fit. Um so, not is, do you want us to go ahead and go? Yeah, I, kind of. I, I was just I, well, I was just going to say because that leads right into the last show because that's when I showed up and was in line with you guys and others, and by that point, you guys, you, you, I mean, you guys had done a really good job of being able to point out this guy's a scalper, that gal's a scalper, that kid is a scalper, and <laughs> it's a family <laughs> affair. Exactly. No, it was a group and it was a group effort and it was led by there were two different groups of scalpers there. And you kind of you could see the ringleaders and they were very open about it. I mean, there was because scalping is perfectly legal in the state of New York. They had no reason to kind of hide it or to, um, you know, be secretive about it. Um, As a matter of fact, as they got them in line, they would turn around to people who were not uh, getting tickets and said, hey, anybody need me to flip you some tickets? Let's go outside and discuss this. I mean, because it it is perfectly legal to scout in the state of New York. Um, But, you know, where where we had gotten frustrated is there had been kind of some and I I don't want to blow this out of proportion, but there had been some minor physical run ins where scalpers have been tripping or shoving fans down. Um, at this 10 a.m. rush to get in and the security knew who they were. You know, there were hugs and handshakes and um, you'd see them kind of pushing people around. I was shoved out of the way by by one of the scalpers who tripped me and kind of pushed me into the wall a little bit as we were going in on New York 7. Um, so on that last day when they really started to kind of move us around and they kept they kept reorganizing this 10 a.m. line and putting the same six or seven people up at the front of this yeah. line. And then whenever other people would get in front security and it was the same two guards would keep coming around and removing the line and changing the location of the line again. And when they finally had that final lineup right out front um, and I've got a photo of this and it shows those four scalpers are the ones who are being wanded in while the rest of us are being held back. And then right after they got the tickets, the one of the lead scalpers comes out and hugs the security guard and says, thanks, man, and then jumps right back in line again. You guys, and I applaud you guys 100% for this, you guys actually got vocal about this with security and started you know, challenging them 
you know, on what was going on. And that's when the one security guy, you know, said, you know, you two fans are the worst and all this sort of stuff. And, um, <laughs> yeah, I think we've been, we've been blacklisted at, at Madison Square Garden, <laughs> which is fine because I won't, I won't go to that venue again. I mean, the shows were magnificent, but I just can't, uh, you know, people want to say, oh, scalping's legal, scalping's legal. Um, and that I, I have my issues with that, but really this was an issue of, uh, security just being inconsistent. You know, you have the biggest band in the world coming to the most iconic venue on its eighth night, and you don't have a system in place to handle a hundred U2 fans in the morning who want to buy tickets. Chris ends. We had some some ask at U2 questions about this, didn't we? Did we get? Did we manage to answer those? Yeah, I think so. There the- is. I'm trying to follow the tweets and the retweets because it was obviously a very uh, contentious and interesting issue that people wanted to talk about. Actung Baby 115, Jab W10. Our own Sherry at YouTube at YouTube.com Sherry uh, asked about it as well. So it was very much a topic that people wanted to talk about and wanted us to talk about. And uh, and we were just waiting for, yeah, the right folks to who were involved to be able to come and chat about it. And and Chris, Beth, to your knowledge, was there any resolution of this? We I have no idea what happened behind the scenes. Um, you know, it's the last show of the the leg. It's the last show of our run of the tour. And, you know, we're kind of slightly devastated, um, but getting about our day. And we, we kept checking uh, on the Ticketmaster app for drops, which was just a, a waste of time. Uh, and then we... We we did something we hadn't done because we hadn't had to do it. We got drops every other morning, but we we went to the cancellation line that evening. And there seemed to be a, a very different approach that night to uh, reports of how it went previously. Scalpers were always in that cancellation line, too. And my understanding is that's when tickets either being held for the, the band's friends and family or other outlets who, who aren't using them um, become available. And um, that night... Uh, they're just the the scalpers seem to be being held at bay while uh, a, a member of kind of a higher up. I've heard it was a member of Live Nation's team. Uh, I'm not I'm not positive on that, but you know he was walking the line with MSG security and in a very organized fashion, sort of the antithesis of everything we saw that morning. Um, kind of counting out, asking how many tickets you wanted, saying this is the price point that's now available. Do you want those? And if you did, you got a card. To to kind of hold your place one one through eight and then they would take eight people walk them in and and just an amazingly orderly fashion walk them up to the security checkpoint gets get searched and scanned uh wait for the group to all be together and then walk you in line to the designated box office window and you'd buy your tickets so uh so we we got in that night it was um it was, a, it was a rough day, but we ended up getting spectacular seats uh, that we paid a little more than $35 for, <laughs> but but it kind, of, it kind of balanced out. And I, 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 I ran my totals for the, the 15 shows we went to, and I, and I averaged $81.84 a ticket, which I'm pretty proud of. Um, That's but good. Yeah, but so, so we got in. Again, I don't know. That was the only night we'd done cancellations, so I can't directly compare it. And I don't know when what went on behind the scenes, but in my mind, um, you know, MSG had to be aware of it. They sort of ignored all our tweets all day long. But then the second the show started, they're retweeting Chris's concert photos and favoriting them. And I'm just, you know, got a pretty sour taste in my mouth about about that selective focus. Um, so, uh I don't know. I'd like to. I'd like to think that U 2s people heard about it, or Live Nation somehow intervened and made sure um, uh, the fans were prioritized. But maybe that's a little 
uh, you know, Bono rose colored glasses of me. <laughs> or blue yeah. colored glasses. Blue colored glasses. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think um, we have a, actually I have a quote from Adam just to summarize everything uh, about this event that I think just perfectly encapsulates everything that the band probably feels. It's really rude. So there we go. <laughs> but <laughs> we'll, uh, it does, it is interesting though, because they have been paying attention. Obviously we've been, we've talked about this many times. They have been paying way more attention than in the past to social media and to fans and stuff. And so it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility that they were paying attention, but also who knows <laughs> the other side of it. <laughs> well, I mean, I can tell you, um, for those that know me, I spent 20 years in the media. So I, I was kind of on the other side of this and, um, which for me, I was on the other side of the barricade now on, on this one. And, no, 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 no. Yeah, sorry. Um, <laughs> sorry. But whenever, I mean, MSGPR, when they see two news crews roll up, they're going to they're gonna take pay attention and they're going to know that something's going on. And they're probably not going to publicly acknowledge it they, um, for fear of further retribution. But I am sure that, um, you know, I talked to people who were in the cancellation line. Uh, for, you know, five, six and seven. And it was also run by security, whereas, you know, New York 8, it was clear that it, it was the the gentleman in the suit with the giant Live Nation badge that was kind of in charge of in charge of saying, yes, you get in and just kind of walking past other people. And as we were going in at the end of the night, it was the same scalpers who had been shoving us out of the way were still being held in the pen while the rest of us were being walked down. Well, and, and that cancellation line was unique to Madison Square Garden, yes. right? I mean, we didn't see it at any other venue. Uh, no, there were people who would get drops at other venues, but not this organized cancellation line, nor was there this organized 10 a.m. kind of obstructed view thing right. either. We'll see. And obviously fans, as you go to the European leg and, and so on, definitely let us know. And I'm sure, I mean, if it's as big an issue as this, it'll... It'll definitely make waves, <laughs> as obviously it has. And so, um, if there's folks, so I, think, so I think to sum up, what we learned was paperless GA tickets good, uh, hard tickets not good. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> Except that you you don't have that souvenir to to frame, but you that's do kind of get this like flimsy receipt that prints out when you scan it, <laughs> comparable to a a Taco Bell receipt. But I saved that's those true. two. <laughs> All right. Well, that's a, that's that's a good way to end, I guess. The thank you, Taco Bell. Maybe I'm just hungry. <laughs> and the YouTube roundtable, YouTube.com roundtable discussion. Uh, thanks, Beth and Chris, for joining us for that and uh, and coming on the show. And listeners out there, if you have follow up questions that uh, either for Beth and Chris directly or just about the topic in general, of course, like we've said many times, use the hashtag Ask at YouTube, and we'll be sure to get to it in a future episode that's where it applies the most and so uh, we thank all the folks who've been sending in questions and comments and stuff it's awesome and helps uh, just keep the dialogue going here on the show as well because chris i know I, I know we're running out we're running really yeah. short on time can can beth and chris spend one minute telling us about the tattoo project i think they might even have two uh Two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. One, two, three, go. Uh, Chris and I, the research project we went to 15 shows for is the YouTube Tattoo Project. We're both uh, nerds um, who have combined my passion with research that interests both of us. We're studying YouTube fan tattoos. And so we wanted to get to the greatest concentration of fans we could. So that's why we went to so many shows. And uh, we're just where I study graphic design and digital media. Chris is a visual anthropologist. And this is sort of the perfect collaboration for us to study how you YouTube fans brand themselves. So more information online, we're at youtubetattooproject.com or on all social media as YouTube Tattoo Project. 
Fantastic. That was and that was very concise. That was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I think you only used a minute, and that's that's good. <laughs> Do you they, either hey, of you have two tattoos? <laughs> no, I don't. No, I don't. I don't. Oh. No. So I'm not. I'm next, not having any help. Next podcast live from a tattoo parlor. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, Matt McGee you, gets branded. Oh my gosh! The screaming, the pain. <laughs> <laughs> the crying. <laughs> That'll be when we need to like do a uh, at YouTube podcast Kickstarter project or something. It'll be some reward level that will will tap. You guys get to choose what tattoo Matt gets. <laughs> oh, oh wow! I gotta start brainstorming. I don't like where this is going. We need to. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, but yeah, that's a very exciting project and very cool, and uh, I look forward to seeing and, and hearing all about it as it. And we'll have to have you guys back on and uh, absolutely talk okay. chat, yeah, chat more about it. Very cool. Less about ticket issues and more about fun YouTube projects, I think. Happy <laughs> your thoughts. Happy your thoughts. Yeah. Thanks for letting us talk about it. And thanks for having us on to talk about uh, uh, everything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So coming up on the uh, at YouTube podcast, Matt, we've got, uh, well, hopefully going to be doing some European tour previews, obviously, to get people even more excited, hyped up for the European yeah, hopefully, leg. Hope, hopefully next week's podcast, uh, we're trying to track down some of our friends that live over in Europe um, from some of the fan sites over there. So uh, we'll try to do some sort of preview kind of thing. Is That's what our goal is next, yeah, week, next week. We have it. I have it on record that I think they're, they're in a different time zone over there. Yeah. So we'll be... To, <laughs> I'm terrible with time We're going to have to adjust things on our end a little bit. Yeah. But uh, no, we will definitely be doing that. And... Uh, through the wonders of and magic of Skype and the internet, we can chat with people all over the world. Of course, you can find previous episodes of this podcast at goodstuff.fm slash at U2. The Twitter account is the word at and U2. Uh, like I mentioned before many times now already, the hashtag is ask at U2 if you want to have a question, comment, criticism, even maybe a suggestion of something we should be doing or not doing. Um, and uh, for a future episode, we'll be sure to discuss that. And then also the Facebook page, facebook.com slash at U2com. I think that's everything, Matt. Am I forgetting anything nope, at all? that's it. Chris, Beth, thank you so much for being here. It was yes. awesome. Thank you guys thank for Thank you so much. Us. I appreciate it. it. It's been an honor. And thank you folks for listening. Until next time, have a great day. Bye. It's really rude. <laughs>